Sony is very lucky that his father is a better person than Oli. And I think you, 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 you are an ostrich. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day, he's the biggest fool in Manchester. And that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football. It's the Bola Boys coming to you on the other side of the new year. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to everyone who listens. As usual, thank you for all the support. We appreciate it. As you can tell, it's Rahul hosting... And as usual, joining us, we've got Kaiser and Vis. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. So I think just given the context of what's been going on over the Christmas period and the new year, it's hard to avoid this episode becoming uh, mainly focused around the title race, or should I say lack of a title race now. Uh, so we make no apologies for spending the next 40, 50 to one hour talking about three teams mostly. Uh, the po- you know if you if you support Man City, I'm sure you're gonna enjoy this. Um, if you support Liverpool or Chelsea, maybe not. But the good news for everyone else is that I think after this episode, there'll be very little focus on the title race. Or maybe that's me being pessimistic. Uh, I don't know what your boys' thoughts are on this. Yeah, I think I probably agree with you there. Um, especially the recent results from both sides and last night's game. Uh, time of recording the Chelsea and Liverpool. Match just finished last night. Uh, that yeah, it's tough to see any other title winners apart from City, unfortunately. Yeah, there are some people though, um, some optimistic people who think that you know still either one of Chelsea or Liverpool can catch up. But uh, I'm just like you guys. I don't think that's possible. Uh, maybe back then. I mean, this is uh, Ferguson era. I think. Maybe, you know, in January, if you're six points, if there's a six-point gap or five-point gap, you still can close it somehow. But, I mean, the levels that City and Liverpool have put up in the past recent seasons, the 90 to mid-100-point season, you know, you're talking about... The, the, the issue here is you have to hope for City to lose some games and your team winning the rest of the games, which is quite unlikely. And, yeah, I, I don't see it going any other way except City winning it. Yeah, Kaiser. Yeah, I think the only thing is that it is still a COVID season, so there's some unpredictabilities uh, with regards to fixture changes and um, players getting COVID and those kind of things that could throw up some surprises. I think that's the only saving grace, in a sense, for the other title challenges. Yeah, but the thing is, right, you see, City's biggest strength, I would say, more than anything, is the fact that all 25 players, the whole squad is so strong. So even if yep. their first 11 get COVID, right, the next 11 that comes in is probably going to, you know, just tear it apart still. They're so good at interchanging between players, you know, some games you don't need De Bruyne, some games we don't need Foden, Mares can come in, Bernardo Silva can come in. You know, that's that's another thing about City, which they are so, so good at. I've always said this on the pod that I think Liverpool have the best first 11. But if you look at like the whole squad, it's definitely City. And I think they are, I, I might be wrong, but they're COVID proof, I would say, you know, unless everyone gets COVID. La, but but they're so, so strong yeah. overall. They're also AFCON proof, it looks like, which uh. we'll talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, is the interesting point you say that, Vis, and you have said it before about Liverpool having the best 11. Uh, I think definitely there's an argument to be said. Yeah, on their day, Liverpool maybe have the best eleven. Someone else was saying on another podcast or something I read the other day, Liverpool have the best eleven. City then have the best sort of fifteen to eighteen, but Chelsea probably have the best sort of twenty-two to twenty-five man squad. So even if we don't talk about Liverpool in this equation, right? So how come Chelsea have struggled almost more than than the rest of them over this time period? Because they, I mean, they've got quite a, a strong squad. It has, I mean, it's. It has to be said. Yeah, I, th- I think it's also down to the fact that, you see, the way Tuchel plays, right, he, he, there's a system to how he plays and he he's implemented a system which suits the current best 11 players that he has. Mm, so I okay. think because he's still new, he doesn't know how to implement a different system with different sort of players that he has who are amazing players, don't get me wrong. But you see, as soon as Chilwell's not on the side, as soon as Reese James is injured, you can see, you know, Chelsea are not as strong as they used to be. And a clear example is of how he's not being able to use Lukaku, you know. So I that I that's what I think. It's just my personal opinion, 
But uh, yeah, I, I think Tuchel, maybe give him another two seasons, maybe he could fully utilize like what Pep is doing now. I feel with City, right, they have the attacking ability of Liverpool and the defensive capability of Chelsea. They're a good mix of the both. Mm, you know, Carragher, but, yeah, yeah. Carragher was saying this yesterday as well, right? So mm. City yeah, is good as either one of those two teams at mm. what they are good at. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, I mean, the actual sort of uh, big picture stuff. City, they go at the pace they've been going at on their 19th game, uh, 47 points. They finish on 94 points, which is, you know, is, is unreal, right? So they're going at a pace which is ridiculous. But it's so crazy that Chelsea and Liverpool going at the pace that they are going still finish on mid-80 point seasons. And that's not good enough, which is madness. Someone yeah. was saying the other day, Man United under Ferguson, 94-95 season, mm. lost five games. Yeah. If you lose and five games now, games you're nowhere now. close no to the title, you know. So yeah. You see, I, you just look at this, Raul, sorry to interrupt you. Going away to Chelsea and getting a point there, back then it's, it's a superb result, bro. Going away, you know, from home, getting a, a, a proper point from a rival. But now it's, it's more of, oh, you didn't win, then too bad, you're out of the race. We're talking you about, can't drop yeah. any points. Yeah. Any points. Okay, perfect. So the, the other thing I want to talk about is this Christmas period because I think this is where, I mean, finally a gap has opened a bit more, uh, especially between uh, second and third and City. Ha- you know, people people have almost been saying that, oh, City have been quite lucky over the Christmas period. Uh, I myself, I don't, I don't really know which side of the coin I sort of find myself here. I think in terms of injuries and absences, Possibly, maybe they've been lucky. I mean, that's nothing to do with, uh, you know, any anything a club can influence or a manager can influence or fans can influence. But, I mean, let's just, like you mentioned just now, Chelsea, Reese James and Chilwell now out with long-term injuries. Uh, you know, Liverpool had quite a few COVID absences, including Klopp. But in one game, they had Thiago Verge out with COVID right before the game starts. Now they lose two players to AFCON. City only lose Mares, who, don't get me wrong, has scored five in the last five of his appearances. So he's an important player. But there's some degree of, uh, you know, luck in terms of who the players they've lost and when they've lost them. You know, to be in a position to drop Foden and Grealish because they've gone partying and still have a fantastic squad out there, I think... But at the end of the day, I think that's what you need, right? To win a league title, you need to be good, but you also need a, ru- need a rub of the green. So, Kaiser, do you think this is fair? Do you think it's fair to say they've been lucky? Or do you think they've just been as unlucky as everyone, but just, you know, still managed to grind out the results? Yeah, I think it's a mix of it, for sure. I mean, there is some element of luck, like the ones you've pointed out. But I think ultimately, what he has, Guardiola, I mean, uh, managed to achieve is the squad depth and so many great um, playing players, right? regardless if there's a small injuries or some COVID absences. I think it is like visit kind of COVID uh, proof that he's just able to keep the system with the same players and still play so uh, effectively. And so I think there is an element uh, of luck, but yeah, it's a lot of things that um, no one could really control and they played what is in front of them and they've done really well. Yeah, but just to add to Kaiser's point, right? When we're talking about luck, I think refereeing decisions this season for City, I think, have gone their way a lot of the times. So I think they've been lucky with that. And for, for some reason, every team that wins the league that year will usually get the lucky, you know, refereeing decisions go their way. Mm. So I think they're just headed in that direction, essentially. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And finally, before we get into the games, I think the last thing I wanted to maybe get an opinion from you guys is how the fixtures have fallen over this sort of uh, COVID-riddled period. You know, for I mean, the one example I can think of is Liverpool should play Leeds on Boxing Day. That game gets cancelled. But when City play Leeds, you know, just a few days before that, they play, you know, uh, injury-ravaged Leeds and they win 7-0. So the way these games are falling, is that fair? You know, we're still not 100... I mean, the, I think the official ruling is if as long as you have 13 playing players, the match has to go on. But, you know, we, we see postponements for certain teams in certain uh, certain situations which may not reflect that. You know, Norwich have had to play certain games with no teams and then suddenly they get games postponed. 
Does this influence the integrity of the league? Is this a bit unfair in the way these these games are happening? I think that's something that you you can't control. I would say like that that's a good example that you brought up with the Leeds one especially like City get to play a ravaged Leeds but then when Liverpool's turn you know but they don't get a chance to do that. So how I'm looking at it is even a normal season if let's say the games are lined up in a way where you play for example Liverpool play Everton in January and then they play Everton in November and whatever happens in between then is regardless you cannot control it. So I feel that one is going too much to to say that oh other teams have an advantage over the other i think it's it's fair across all the teams you're going to get a team which is ravaged with injuries as well you know so i i, I don't think that you can you can do much lah but i think regardless of that the premier league has to be more clear and certain about what yeah they they're very um, secretive about these things i like god knows for yeah. what reason you know and the yeah. fact that even that 13 players thing uh, until when did they come out and say it? you know after so long only they've actually come out and said that oh you need and is that are you 100% sure raul is that even an official thing or is that what we think it is i think i think that's what they mentioned but honestly i haven't i can't remember from which channels i heard yeah. that 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 statement yeah, from like you see this thing we don't even know if it's 100% yeah. true or not that's they need to remove doubts and covid has been around for so long i mean yeah. and they don't have proper plans in place so yeah yeah Fantastic. So I think that's a nice review of where we stand in terms of the title race. I think we'll come back to it maybe when we look at uh, some of the games upcoming on some conclusions and where we think, if any, there'll be a change in this title race. But let's get stuck in into the games. And we've done it in an order where we'll talk about the most recent games first. And the most recent game with relevance to the title challenge would be Liverpool away at Stamford Bridge. It finishes 2-2. And... Uh, Kaiser, the only way I can describe this game was chaotic. Uh, you know, there was control. I would say there was no control from either side, um, and a draw is probably a fair result. Yeah, I mean the chaos part is definitely right. Um, even backed by data, actually. So it was actually the highest number of times the ball exchanged possession in the first half this season, uh, which says something. And surprisingly, actually, I think Liverpool Chelsea games in the past have been uh, sometimes rather cagey. Uh, but whether it's a fair result, uh, I think it's a bit tough to say. Um, the way it went, especially the the first half, I think Liverpool did have better chances. You, I mean, Kovacic's goal was like I don't know what xG that was, but that was just like goal of the season. Kind it, of it was like zero point zero two or something. Wow, because he took it first time as well. Right? <laughs> yeah, it was like zero yeah, point zero was, two. It's literally you know, the way he took it. Right? He was off balance, and he took a step back and he was sort of did a scissor kick. It yeah, was sick, so man. good. What a goal! So good. <laughs> what a finish! So ridiculous. But yeah, um, mentioning Kovacic, I mean, him and Kante were extremely dominant uh, in the middle, especially Kovacic, who was top for touches, duels, uh, as, as well as tackles. So he had a fantastic game. Uh, uh, One saving grace for Liverpool is that Mane finally ended his goal-scoring drought and looked very, very effective uh, that game as well. But there was a red card incident potentially at the start. I don't know if you guys thought it was a red card for the flailing arm. I think it was too early in the game to send someone off. I think it was what thirty seconds. Oh, I, think I don't like that but, statement. But that's not relevant. I don't. Yeah, I don't. But you like see, that. the thing is, you see, if that thing had happened in thirty minutes or forty minutes, you don't think that would have been a red card? I think no, maybe, maybe they... so. But that's the problem. But that's the yeah, problem. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yes. It, it doesn't be matter like if it's five seconds. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's, the, it's, it's, it's midway through the first half. If it's a red card challenge, it's a red card. Referees yeah. do this all the time. They play the context and they play the game. That's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. the rules should be the rules. You know but I don't know. His yeah. The only argument was that he his eyes were on the ball, but the way he just uh, yeah, it was kind of weird. His arm towards the it was yeah, it was a quite some a angles run. you can see that he clearly didn't mean to do it. But then there's this one angle where it looks like he's trying to like dig into Espelicueta's eye or some shit. So it was weird. It was weird. But definite yellow, that's for sure. But I don't know about red lah. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I think if if it was a red card, I don't think many would argue that it was the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. But equally, I think uh, Mount's incident on yeah. uh, Simicas, yeah. that I mean that definitely I think needed to be at least looked at. You know, so again, this is my problem. Was, was he given VAR. a yellow for that? He got no, a yellow, I, right? Did he get that? a yellow? No. Yeah, I so, think he uh, got a yellow for that. Yes, he did get a yellow. So may I don't know, maybe because he booked him and it's not a clear and obvious error, they didn't look at it. But I don't know why 
but for both incidents, you're looking at it on a replay. Like imagine if a fan was doing VAR, right? You see these two things. My option would be like, hey, go have a look at it. Just, at just both. Go yeah, at right. both. At, at both. both, of course. Yeah. At both. Yeah. Go have a look at it. Just go have a look at it. See what you think. Why are you leaving this margin for error on game-changing moments? I don't understand. Uh, but before we get into refereeing again, because we will do when we talk about City a bit later <laughs> on, <laughs> let's bring it back to the game. <laughs> and I think, uh, Kaiser, you said it pretty well, uh, where you said, in my opinion, from watching the game, I think Liverpool were good in moments. Liverpool had moments. But I think overall, Chelsea were the ones who, you know, at least had some grasp of a game which was largely just madness. Uh, and that was largely due to Kovacic. Someone tweeted yesterday that, oh, Kovacic just turns up every time he plays Liverpool. And I don't think, I think that's wrong. I think every fan that watches Kovacic only realizes mm, how good he effective. is yeah. when they watch their team against him. Because he's sick, man. He's a very good player. It's no surprise that Chelsea have been, you know, worse off when he's not been on the pitch. And obviously, just because he p- scored a really good goal, he's been highlighted even more. But he's brilliant. He carries the ball really well. He's involved in all their build-up play. He's very good defensively as well. And I think sometimes that's overlooked because he's next to someone who's brilliant as well, which is Kante. And the Liverpool midfield were nowhere to be seen yesterday. Absolutely dominated. Uh, you know, never had a foothold in the game. Milner coming up to 36 years old. I think, you know, actually he was probably our best, you know, Liverpool's best midfielder. And Liverpool really need to look at themselves and think how they're going to address this midfield problem this. Because, you know, looking back at the summer, they don't address it and they don't reinforce. Now, Thiago, someone who's already injury prone, is showing that he's injury prone. Shock, horror. And then now they've changed the way they play, where their midfield is more involved in the overloads attacking-wise. And they've been scoring more goals. But defensively, they're just not there. There's a reason Liverpool have been involved in some of the highest scoring score draws this season and the best games of the season because of because, this. And that's not yeah. what wins you titles. You don't you're not you shouldn't be involved in these three threes and two twos if you want to win the league. You know? Yeah. And that's why City's games are always either maulings or one nils or two nils is boring because yeah. they are in control. Yeah. And is it you know, looking at Liverpool's midfield yesterday, this anything that you sort of picked out, anything that you think is a is a glaring problem? Um, like you said, Raul, the midfield lost the battle and Liverpool were nowhere near control of anything. I mean, we look at we watched the whole game, right? Both teams didn't look like they had control, but to a certain extent, Chelsea in the second half did have some control. But if you look at the chances where both teams had, I think Liverpool would have felt a bit unlucky that they didn't take some of the chances that they had because I thought the chances that Liverpool had created were much better than what Chelsea had created. To be fair, Chelsea controlled the game, yeah, towards the second half, end of the second half, but they didn't do much with it either, besides that one Pulisic shot that Kelleher saved, right? Besides that, they didn't do much either, but um, like you said, you know, they were just overran, the midfield was overran. Kante and Kovacic had had an amazing game. Yep, definitely. And I think what was evident in this game, especially in the context of the title race, was these two are really good teams, but they're just not as good as City, you know. Um, and that's reflective in the points. Um, so coming back to, I mean, the other game which which uh, is relevant in the title race and that Liverpool shown again that, you know, they weren't quite at it was the Leicester game. Leicester coming off quite a few injuries, getting, you know, mauled by City 6-3. They put out a really good performance. Uh, and Liverpool, who had a quite a bit of rest, which Jürgen Klopp has been asking for, just weren't at the races, Kaiser. Yep, so Liverpool had Van Dijk, Fabinho and Handel back uh, from COVID uh, for that game and Leicester only had a two-day break. Uh, but yeah, it was a super frustrating game for Liverpool. Leicester did do some last-ditch uh, defending, but Liverpool, to be fair, should have done enough to win the game. They had 21 shots, but super unclin- unclinical with only four on target. Uh, Mane was struggling uh, during that time. Salah missed a pen after 15 That's consecutive the big penalties. Thing, right? I think head, heads really went after that penalty miss. Yeah. Uh, and Claude admitted as well that Liverpool needed to be better but just couldn't keep up with Leicester's uh, work rate and uh, energy during that game. And so, yeah, huge, huge uh, loss. I think probably only the first or second time we haven't scored uh, this season, um, which, yeah, was a very disappointing result. Yeah. 
And I think now Liverpool come into a more difficult period, uh, losing Salah, Mane, and Keita to the Afcon. I think probably on balance, probably the biggest losses of any team in the Premier League to the Afcon. Chelsea lose Mendy as well, um, yeah. which again we'll discuss a bit later when we talk about the Chelsea City game. They play Brentford, Crystal Palace, and then Leicester once again. I don't know. I don't know how they're gonna fare. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the players that are leaving. The best player in the world, arguably, and uh, Mane. The, these two are your main pivotal points, and Jota, of course. But Jota is going to stay. I think Liverpool are going to suffer unless you know Firmino, Jota, and Minamino sort of step up. And you know, I don't know. I, I, I what do you guys think? You think there's any chance? We'll have, that to, we'll have to grind out results uh, potentially. I think we've literally played Salah and Mane almost every every game, game every game exactly. Uh, and so the drop off is huge. Uh, and so yeah, it's going to be yeah. A, even a yesterday's game, I mean, we lose another midfield player in Keita. Who the two goals you guys scored were from Salah and Mane. Like so good goals, some more. Like Salah's goal was so good. Like, like I don't see Minamino doing that. Like, let's be fair. <laughs> <you> no. <know? laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. And I think, like you said, asking Liverpool to grind out results when they've not been able to grind out results throughout the season is going to be <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's talk about the champions elect. You know, I think there's no. No offense taken when I call them the champions elect, but City go away to Arsenal to a buzzing Emirates, get battered. I would say, okay, okay, maybe that's a bit harsh. Not get battered, but really get you know, you're watching for the City. game and yeah, for, for City, City game, that's a, getting battered, yeah, right? that's a battering way. Yeah, I was watching the game and you know, I was like, wow, this is this is a gutsy, brave performance, but still they come away to one. Uh, Vis, I think you had I, I don't know if you watched the whole game but what was your overall sort of takeaway from that game so yeah coming back to the refereeing decisions man I have to bring that up like for example like we talked about how it's not consistent in terms of you know there's an incident that happens more than one incident not all incidents get looked at like for example the Odegaard pen that wasn't looked at but the Bernardo pen was looked at you know yeah. So that's that's okay, yeah. but okay. Be- besides the point, I just thought Arsenal were undoubtedly the much better team. The chances that they had, that they should have scored, like the Martinelli one, that open goal. You know, there are so many points in the game where Arsenal could have been two, two, three nil up. You know, sorry. <coughs> but I think it comes down to maturity and the fact that Gabriel did that, did what he did to to get sent off. I think that was very immature of him. Yeah, that was. Yeah. So I, I mean, think this is also because of the you know the refereeing decisions not going your way. But at the end of the day, you have to keep your heads, you know. And this is something yeah. I think Arsenal only can learn from experience. For but sure. no doubt they played so well. They played really, really well. Yeah. Game. So I think let's focus on the positives before we come to the capitulation. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think albeit City looked a bit depleted. I don't think City were at their best. Um, possibly just because again they were they were missing Foden. They were missing. Uh, who am I thinking of now? Stones, and they were missing Zinchenko. Pep references this at the end of the game, saying, you know, we had four academy players on the bench. So possibly Arsenal played them at a good time, but let's be real here. I think Arsenal pressed super well. They were very aggressive. They were unified in their press. And Thomas Partey, what a performance. Um, You know, every time City got past that initial press of the front three, he was there to mop up not just defensively, on the ball, playing, you know, just neat, tidy passes. He nutmegs Bernardo Silva and puts Martinelli through for what could have been goal of the season if he scores that. So I think they were unlucky. You know, you put such a gutsy performance there and then to to come away with no points is, 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 pretty, is pretty difficult. So let's talk about the refereeing decisions. The Odegaard pen, what do you guys think? On first glance, to me, I think in real time, it's a penalty. But I literally yeah. can't make up my mind now when I watch the replays. I, I don't you know. See, I, I myself I, don't know. That's the actually, thing, right? That's yeah, in real time, I thought it's it a penalty. But then, actually. when you look at... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, the, re- the replay is when I thought like, oh, he clearly got the foot first. Yeah, that's the uh, thing. It depends uh, the, on the angle. Yeah, yeah, there's this one <laughs> angle which looks like he got the ball clearly. Because the, the trajectory of the ball completely changes as soon as Edison comes in, you know. So there's this one particular angle which sort of like denies the fact that it's a penalty. Lah. Yeah. But I think the main reason why it wasn't given as a penalty was because it wasn't clear and obvious. And they didn't yeah. want to well, well, why the they didn't have another look at it, you mean? Yeah. 
it's because it wasn't a clear and obvious error. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe but so. I still so think, the, I still think the, the ref should have gone and had a look at it, you know, regardless. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, the way Odegaard fell as well, it wasn't like a one smooth motion. Yeah, it was a bit like, dramatic, kind of weird. It was now. like over top, but yeah. I just feel I don't. Maybe it was the right thing because it wasn't clear and obvious to have a look. But I just think you've got that there. Why? Why not just have a look? You know. Yeah. Especially like we're talking about game-changing moments. I'm not saying you have to scrutinize every foul on the pitch, but game-changing moment penalties. Just have a look. Red cards. Just have a look. You know. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I it's frustrating, yeah, and, I, cards, and yeah. I think definitely Arsenal fans can be can be frustrated from that point of view but then you come into the second half there and Xhaka was a senior pro senior midfielder and you see him make that foul on Silva one thing I think uh, to be fair I think it's a penalty regardless because he sticks his yeah. legs out and he makes yeah. contact but why are you pulling his shirt yeah. as well yeah no, just like makes it, makes it so easy for the ref you know, don't, so, so easy. don't give the ref a decision. This is a team where fine margins are so important. They're scattered with brilliant players. Why are you making him make a decision on such an obvious thing as well? From a senior pro, yeah. we're not talking about one of the kids, you know. And if this yeah. has been the problem with Arsenal. So then you they get the penalty, they score. Obviously, Mares converts. And then just a few minutes after, you know, Gabriel picks up a stupid yellow for scuffing the penalty spot already. Yeah. Actually, yeah. no, you know, he didn't get the yellow for scuffing the penalty spot. He got a yellow for descent. So that was even okay. more stupid. Even him, you worse. Know? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even worse. And then the challenge on Gabriel Jesus was Dumb. near the halfway line. That was, yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. You know, and then, like yeah. I said, it was gutsy, it was brave performance, but then that's 11 men against City. This is difficult enough. You put yourself against 10 men. Yeah. You know, you're, you're asking We for talked about this, remember, Raul, the previous spot about how you have to be perfect against yep. City and he cannot be doing stupid things like this and Arsenal were 1-1 at the time of the red card and in yeah yeah, <laughs> I think it, it comes back to sort of game management uh, which City have been really good for and we come back to the Liverpool-Chelsea game as well there's no game management by any of those three teams Arsenal, Chelsea and Liverpool while City do it so well you know and the other thing I think I just wanted to highlight it wasn't a really a set piece but City have been managing to get their goals from midfield and their centre-backs a lot, either from set-pieces. In this context, obviously, it was just a cross from De Bruyne. But, you know, they're finding a different avenue where it's not going well for them and they pick out the set-pieces, you know. The set-pieces are coming in clutch for them. Against Leicester, when he was looking a bit nervy, we'll start to talk about it as well. It was set-pieces. Against Brentford, the winner was from a set-piece again. You know, so you're looking at a team here which is elite, which is finding different ways to score and it's evidenced by the fact that they're the team with the second highest amount of set pieces which used to be a weakness for City by the way you know it used to be a, seat, a weakness for them especially conceding from set pieces they've considered one set piece goal this season so you know this team is operating at a very very high level and when you have days like they had against Arsenal you know you have to take advantage if not they're going to pick up the three points and that's what was seen so before that they yeah. go to Leicester um, and uh, you know it looks like the first half is going pretty smoothly and it looks like it's going yeah. to be a thrashing Leicester find mm-hmm. their, their their way into the game again, Kaiser. So give us a nice little summary of, of some highlights from that game. Yeah, I think you mentioned the second half comeback. I think that's the main thing to to talk about. So they started with um, four at the back and then switched it up to uh, five at the back and brought on Castagne. So that was a big changing point. After that, Madison, who's been on fire, uh, came alive. I think they keep on dispossessing City and then Madison just brings the ball up um, and him and Ihe Nacho cause havoc. Uh, I think those are the key things and like you said you mentioned the set piece which is another avenue that Man City have this season on the other hand Leicester have conceded the most goals from set pieces uh, so it wasn't surprising that three of the goals came from set pieces including one which um, Penn was given away um, and so yeah that's a big issue for Leicester where they're doing this mix of like zonal and man marking uh, and it was just wasn't working uh, unfortunately they managed to fix that for the Liverpool game uh, <laughs> and um, did not concede any of those uh, set-piece goals. Another thing to highlight is the Academy boys. I don't know if you guys have watched uh, Dewsbury Hall play. I mean, he's been impressive Good both play. in the last two two games. Yeah, uh, Knows how to carry the ball from the back and also uh, quite a complete player. And they thought he was going to replace Madison, but he's actually been playing uh, with Madison and has been very effective um, for them. And then Luke Thomas as well, who's who did well against Salah uh, the other day and has been playing 
for a while now, uh, left back. So they've found their Chilwell replacement uh, finally. And Rogers is known for doing this as well. His um, big example is giving Sterling his debut at 17 years old in Liverpool. He really focuses on uh, youth development. So it's no surprise to see the academy boys uh, stepping up for Leicester. Yeah, so I mean, on that contact, you mentioned James Madison. I can't really make my mind up on him, on where I sort of see him. I don't know if he's a top four player or I don't know if he's sort of sort of because of his numbers and because of little purple patches throughout the last few seasons, he's maybe a bit rated more than how good he is. This, uh, do you think James Madison should be someone who's be playing for a top four team or do you think he's someone who's not just at that level but sort of gets these numbers, these goals and assists which masks the rest of his game? Um, no, I, I definitely think he's a top four player. He's a very good player but I think you also have to take to context the team that he's in I mean, Leicester are a team who constantly switch up their, their starting eleven all the time. And if you were to put Madison in a particular system and tell him to do what he does best, I think he will really thrive. And yeah, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that, yeah, Madison is a, a top player. I mean, if he gets the consistency part, you know, um, correct, I think, he, yeah, he definitely is a top four player, for me, at least. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, and then, yeah. In the context of all these injuries, in the context of having played Man City on Boxing Day, they go uh, and host Liverpool at the uh, King Power Stadium and win. They go, you know, they, 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 they albeit they concede that, that early penalty. And honestly, if I'm watching that, Mo Salah stepping up, I was thinking, yep, this is 1-0, this is going to be a 3-0 easy win. He misses the penalty, misses the rebound. The rebound was a painful part. That was like in slow-mo. Yeah. The, ball. <laughs> the angle they showed it from as well, right behind he was, uh, yeah. and, and he scuffed the shot that came back to him. And he's, yeah, yeah. So I think well, so without taking anything away from Leicester, I think that was definitely a turning point in the game, even though it was pretty early on. And from there, Leicester did well. They were playing Amati and Ndidi as their centre backs, and Ndidi is not a centre back, you know. Yeah. And they did, yep. they did fantastic. They weathered the storm. Uh, in the second half, they turn up, they get their goal. Uh, I think Rogers does the opposite of what Klopp does in the sense that he times his subs very well when he brings on Lukman and Tielemans. And they win 1-0. And again, this is not just another example where Liverpool as title challengers are just not at the level of City. If you compare City versus Arsenal and Liverpool away to Leicester, you have to win those games. You have to, you know, especially in this yeah. period of time. And that wasn't there. Kaiser, we talk about Schmeichel. I think he had a pretty good game. Um, but should the Liverpool strikers have done better? Yeah, Liverpool had enough chances uh, to win the game uh, for sure. But like you said, I think credit has to be given to Leicester. Something interesting that Rodgers has to look at twice um, against City and Liverpool. They changed formation and that's when they came alive. Lookman came on and they changed from this 4-1-2-1-2 diamond to a 4-3-3 and looked more effective, uh, especially going forward. Uh, even though they were defending for their lives after that goal. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, it's a very disappointing result for Liverpool, especially given that Leicester only had two days rest um, for this game. Uh, but they're yeah, definitely an encouraging sign for uh, Leicester to move forward now that they have NDD and Vardy back as well. Uh, but AFCON... <laughs> AFCON is the one uh, because they are losing some key players, including Amati, NDD, Ihe Nacho, who's been starting as well as Mendy, who doesn't really play that much, but um, it's an important squad player. Uh, so yeah, the next few weeks uh, could look tricky for them. Yep, definitely. So I think it's time to take a breather. We've been going quite a while about fixtures surrounding the title. We'll see you guys to talk about Spurs after the break. Antonio Conte come in as Spurs and they've not lost a single game so far. Vis, how have you think he's fared so far? How do you think the Spurs team has done? Um, I think they've definitely up levels. We spoke about this before as well, about how you know eventually he'll get the team ticking along. And yeah, like you said, unbeaten in the Premier League after eight games, I think he's done a phenomenal job. Uh, especially considering if you look at their defensive stats, I think they have the uh, lowest XG per 90 uh, in the in the league ever since Conte since took over. Come, so yeah, since, okay. yeah, since he's come in. So essentially the best defence in the league. And they're fourth for XG per 90 created. 
So, yeah, there are definitely improvements for sure. But one thing I think you have to take into account is out of the eight games that they've played, um, all of them were relatively easy fixtures, like yeah. like fixtures that you should win. Definitely. And out of those eight games, five of those have been at home. Yeah. So they've won their home games, but their away form says otherwise. They haven't been as good, I would say. But still, they've got what two, uh, one win and two draws, you know, in their in, in their away games, which is not too bad. So I just want to talk about the the m- most recent game, the Watford game. Um, they were in control. Spurs were in control for the entire ninety minutes. I mean, if you look at the chances, they had all the chances to score many goals. But Watford only had two main chances. One was a uh, you know uh, outside the box shot from King. It was a very good shot by the way that Loris had to save. And then there was another penalty shot, which wasn't even a penalty, but. One thing Spurs are lacking, I would say this has become a trend in their past two, three games, is that final ball. And um, if you look at the uh, Watford game, that ended 1-0, by the way, and it was a last-minute winner from Sanchez. It was a set-piece goal that Sanchez scored. So Spurs had a total of 32 crosses, their highest number of crosses in a Premier League game this season, but had zero goals out of those 32 crosses. And uh, yeah, they, you know, they were knocking on the door, but it didn't look like, anything was going to come out of it and Watford their game plan was to let them cross essentially they just suffocate the midfield mm. and show Spurs the wide areas and, and, and let them cross and throughout the whole 90 minutes I mean they handled it well Watford's two centre-backs were so, so tall physical and ironically that was their downfall as well because when Son wins the free kick in the 93rd minute, I think, you know, his ball that he puts in is an amazing ball. And all uh, Sanchez needed to do was just sort of stand up, I think. and just. I think he would have gone in, in, right? Even if Sanchez didn't make the chance, I don't know. Would he have gone yeah. in? Yeah, he yeah really it was like a shot. The, the flight of the ball, yeah. Yep, yep, true. And uh, yeah, so Spurs, I mean, they've been winning 1-0, 2-0 here and there. But there is a lack of creativity. And um, if you look at the Southampton game as well, the one prior to the Watford to game. Yep. So they drew that game 1-1, but for majority of the game, over 50 minutes or so, they had uh, a one-man advantage and they still couldn't win that game. Same thing yeah. again. All these, Salisu, these by the way, like whenever I watch him, I think, oh yeah, he's yeah. a decent player, he's a decent player, but he does some dumb shit, makes, man. Yeah, oh he makes some God. crazy mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was the one who got sent off against United as well, right? When yeah. he was, yeah. uh, n- was it 9-0? What was the score? Seven yeah, this yeah, yeah. It was Salisu as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the question I want to pose to you guys. How are Spurs going to sort of fill this gap in terms of you know creativity? You know, it's it's not, it's not as like uh, okay. Who wants to take this one, Kaiser, Raul? Yeah. No, I think the question has been ever since Ericsson left, who will be replacing. Mm that creative spot that they have. I mean, based on the way they played last time under Pochettino, that was required. And Ali was the one who was supposedly meant to uh, step up. But in this system as well, it seems like they don't have enough creativity from the side. I mean, you mentioned 32 crosses uh, (laughs) in the Watford game, but that sounds like more forced because who are they targeting? Only Kane, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Literally. So, yeah, the Ericsson sort of creative spot, I think, is a big miss. And especially now they're playing with like two holding uh, midfielders. Yeah. And Lucasson and Kane are all not sort of the creative, creative spot. Type, they want to yeah. get on the end of things or they want to get on the end of the run. So maybe they have to look at um, yeah someone in that uh, Lucas Mora space. They try to play Ali sometimes there, uh, but someone to maybe have that creative spot. Or maybe they need more creative uh, wingbacks like how Liverpool and City have uh, Trent and Cancelo, for example, who act as playmakers. Reguillon is trying to be that, but mm. maybe not yet. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say, uh, Vis and Kaiser, that they need a bit more creativity in the middle because I think Conte has had a look at it and he's thought, sort of thought that this isn't the way forward. I don't know whether that's for personal reasons or that's, that's the way he wants to set up with his five at the back. But what really makes that point clear to me is the fact that he's been choosing a player like Harry Winks over Ndombele, you know. I would argue that Ndombele has been, is quite a dynamic player. He carries the ball more than a Harry Winks. He's quite good at that, you know, picking out that pass. 
but he's not been really been picked and that could be because of the individual everyone you know is well documented three four managers now have not really been a big fan of Ndombele but someone like Harry Winks who is industrious who does the simple things well has been in in the team quite you know almost a stalwart of uh, Conte's reign. The other thing which has been obvious to me is that he has made certain sort of comments in his post-match, pre-matches where the plan is to get it to the wing-backs. The plan is to get it to Reguillon and Emerson Royale. Again, the stats against the Watford game, as you guys have pointed out now, you know, loads of crosses, but not much coming to fruition. And I think it's, that's the next challenge he's got to do, right? The next challenge he's got to do is making those crosses not just sterile balls into the box but you have to look at as you mentioned Kaiser the Reese Jameses the Trent Alexander Arnold the way they play the ball is not just oh I've got possession in this space and yeah. I'm just going to whip it in it's that early ball is that putting in that cross where the defenders it's between are not the keeper set. between the defender you yeah, don't know what's going to happen anybody can touch the ball and, and it's not easy it's not easy yeah, it needs to be trained it needs to yeah. be trained but also I think it shows that how good these players are that do do uh. it well yeah. Uh, you know, because, I mean, Spurs, Spurs aren't slouches. We're not talking about some uh, championship team. We're not talking about a, a relegation tank candidates here. Yeah, Reguillon yeah. and Emerson Royal are good players, but it shows you how difficult this is. And it only credit to the fullbacks who can do it. You know, your Cancelos, your Trents, your Reese James. Even Sinikas. Even Sinikas so you're good at crossing. Yeah, they're <laughs> operating at such a high level. So I think that's the next <laughs> challenge he needs. he needs to do. I don't think... I think he sort of looked at the squad and thought, yeah, I'm not going to get much out of these midfielders in the way of creativity. He needs to sort out the wingbacks. So maybe maybe for fantasy, it might be something to look at, you know, these the Spurs wingbacks. But at the moment, no. Um, mm. But positive signs, positive signs for Conte so far, obviously compared to the Nuno reign, as you said, um, Vis, I'm surprised that their XG per 90 is as high as it is, fourth in the league, because yeah. watching them, they look Same. pretty sterile to me, even yeah. though they're getting points. Uh, again, like you said, it might be because they've played some of the bottom teams and they've played at home. But the, I think the encouraging thing is they're actually conceded as well. You need a solid base. And more important than that is um, Conte is getting Kane um, showing positive signs. You know, four, yeah. four shots per 90, he's averaging under Conte. His XGI is 1 compared to 0.5 under Nuno. No, no. Um, so I think positive signs. And now I think on, the, on our next episode, we'll sort of maybe have a focus on the race for fourth spot. spot um, yeah. And they'll probably be among Arsenal, Spurs and Man United. So I think that wraps up our uh, review section. Uh, we'll see you on the other side for our previews. Uh, preview section... We talk about City versus Chelsea, which in the context of what has happened in the past few weeks, maybe is doesn't have as much significance, I want to say, as it might have done if uh, things had gone the other way. Uh, currently, City are 10 points clear of Chelsea. And uh, if Liverpool win their game in hand, they'll still be 8 points clear of Liverpool. Um, I'll come to Kaiser first. In the context that Chelsea have actually beaten Chelsea, uh, Chelsea have actually beaten City three out of the last four. The mm. most recent actually being a City win in the league. Um, in the context of Afcon, Chelsea lose Mendy, City lose Mares. I think looking at that from an outside point of view, I would say Chelsea are worse off in that you know in those losses. How do you see yeah. this uh, sort of playing out in the context of also the fixtures around both teams? Yeah, I think. Yeah, looking at the Tuchel versus Pep uh, results in the past, that gives some uh, encouragement to Chelsea. But I think more importantly is uh, the recent form, which uh, does favour City by a long way. And I think a Mendy being out of the team is a huge miss. Like you said, Mahrez has also gone to AFCON and he's done extremely well. Uh, but just Chelsea have Kepa as the uh, most expensive keeper, most expensive keeper, man. <laughs> most expensive keeper, <laughs> yeah. That's not a loss. <laughs> Money can't buy you class. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's going to be a really tough game. Um, I mean, they're boosted by if Kante and Kovacic can keep up their form, I think there is some hope. Uh, maybe a draw being the uh, best result. <laughs> the but best I think case. It's gonna be, I feel that's the best case. Yeah, un unless some crazy stuff happens regarding COVID uh, and stuff. But yeah, does uh, I think it's gonna be very hard for a very hard game for Chelsea. 
Which? I think City is just going to cruise, man. I honestly think City is just going to cruise. If if you look back earlier in the season where City won one nil against Chelsea, that's, that that was when Chelsea were the team in form and and City were going through like a weird yeah. patch. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Chelsea was so good in the beginning of the season, and even they couldn't stop that City at that time. So I don't I don't see why City won't win, especially with the form that they're in. And yeah. the amount of times we've seen, man, I've seen Mendy save Chelsea on so many different occasions. Even yesterday, so many saves that Mendy made. I don't know if Kepa can keep up, live up to that. So, honestly, if <laughs> I don't see it any other way. I see City winning this one straight up. I don't think City need to even get out of third gear. They'll just win it, bro. That's what I think. Yeah, and I think City obviously have a nice rest. They play, uh, we looked at it just before. Who do they play in the FA Cup third round? Swindon? I think they play Swindon, Swindon on yeah. the weekend, but they've got no fixtures either side of that. While Chelsea play Spurs, the midweek coming up now and the midweek after the FA Cup, so before they play City. So again, Chelsea, who've got quite a, you know, some injury problems, some COVID problems. God knows if anyone's going to pick up anything now are going to be exposed to the Spurs team. They play extra fixtures. So, I mean, everything is in City's favour from that point of view. So, I can't really see a positive result. If we're talking about pragmatism, I think if I was Guardiola, I'd set out the team to draw, to just not get beat, you know, um, because they don't need to win. They don't need to win. What they need to do is just not lose. Saying that, I think they do win the game anyways. Um, if Chelsea manage to get a point there then and Liverpool win their game in hand, it reduces the gap to five points but even then I think it's it's very unlikely that this uh, title race gets any more exciting next game we want to look at is the North London derby I would say both teams now playing each other at a point where both sets of fans are <laughs> slightly optimistic and I find the Spurs, the North London derby always comes at points like this when Spurs and Arsenal fans are both sort of getting positive thinking about where the season can go and one always goes negatively from the other side of the fixture <laughs> and one does well so how do we see this uh, play now Kaiser? Yeah uh, I mean based on like the eye test I feel yeah Arsenal have more reason to be optimistic uh, going to this. Yes, they're playing away. Um, but I think based on form and how they perform, especially with uh, big teams such as uh, City um, recently, and I think it gives a lot of encouragement uh, for Arsenal game. I'm not sure. I think in the past as well, it has been generally high-scoring uh, game and quite unpredictable. Uh, and so... Yeah, I, it's going to be a tough game to call, personally. Yeah, this is actually very, very tough to call. I don't know, it can go either way. But more than anything, I think this is a must-win game for Arsenal if you take into context the table right now. So Arsenal sit in fourth with 35 points and have played 20 matches. Whereas Spurs, they're sitting in sixth with 33 points, only two points away from Arsenal. But they have two games in hand. They've only played 18 games. So this is more of a must-win for Arsenal than anybody. And uh, last meeting, we saw Arsenal, how they spanked uh, Nuno's side. But it definitely won't be the same case. Uh, it'll be an extremely cagey game. Both teams are in good form. Uh, the only thing I would worry about is Arsenal not having Partey because of AFCON. And Partey was, for me, the standout player against City. So I don't know how Arsenal are going to fare in, in that sense. But I'm, I'm quite excited to see this game, actually, because... Arsenal are more aggressive uh, right now. I mean, in the last two, three games that I've seen them at least, uh, compared to before, they were much more passive when they win the ball back. They sort of, you know, play it around the back and then they slowly transition and then they score. But now, like, against the, the, the City game, it was so, so fast, the transition. As soon as Partey wins the ball, he's already looking for the forward pass. And even Tomiyasu, you know, I've, I've come out and said on the pod whether Tomiyasu, I think he's suspect when it comes to his attacking, you know, prowess. But he's actually quite good. Like, he can if he wants to. So I think it's down to how the team sets up and how how everything will pan out but oh it's so tough to call man Spurs versus Arsenal Spurs at home I, I, I really don't know I don't think it'll be a draw I think one team will win it but so difficult to say who but it'll be a test for Spurs because the only difficult game that Spurs played I would say was uh, Liverpool which they played very well it you know ended 2-2 so this would be their next big game lah, for Spurs so 
Yeah, man, I really don't know how to call this. Score predictor is going to be tough. Brilliant. So, talking about the score predictor, I think nothing much has changed. We've uh, we all got the Villa Chelsea game wrong. Um, the rest of them, none of us got correct scores on the City Leicester game, Arsenal City game, or the Chelsea Liverpool game. So things have pretty much stayed the same, except Nick Kaiser managed to call a draw in the Chelsea Liverpool game. So he's gained a point on Viz. Unfortunately, at the top. got that right. Yeah, so Viz stands on 14 points, Kaiser on 13, and I'm trailing way behind Ooh. on 8. So let's get our predictions in for this. <laughs> episode gents <laughs> City Chelsea uh, Kaiser why don't you kick us off hmm uh, I'll go for 2-1 to City 2-1 City um, Vis yeah I'll go 2-0 City 2-0 City and I think 1-0 City so there's 3 City wins across the board I will be ecstatic to be wrong uh, then we go to Spurs <laughs> Arsenal I think Hmm, I think Arsenal are going to do... Uh, I think they're going to win. Um, but I think they'll concede. So I'll say 2-1 to Arsenal. Vis, I'll come to you. 1-0 uh, to Spurs. 1-0 to Spurs. Yeah, 1-0 to Spurs. I'll go 1-0 to Arsenal. 1-0 to Arsenal. Fantastic. So yeah. I think that nicely sees us off uh, for this episode. Hopefully on the next episode... Liverpool FC will be probably closer to the title, including Chelsea. Uh, they can all do us a favour against City, but we'll see. And uh, we'll be looking at fourth place a bit closer following the Arsenal Spurs game as well. Uh, thanks for listening, as always, guys. Hope the new year has been treating you well. It's been the Bola Boys. See Sonny is very lucky that his father is a better person than Ollie. And I think you, 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 you are an ostrich. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day, he's the biggest fool in Manchester. And that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one <laughs> wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football. <laughs>